0: Welcome to the Coaching Podcast with your hosts Emma Doyle and Simon Blair, coach for success in sport and business. G'day everybody, and welcome to the coaching podcast. It's an absolute honor and pleasure to be here with the fabulous Miss Val, they call it Valerie Condos Field. Thank you so much for being on the show. Your bio, I won't go into it. It's it's way too impressive and long. So just read it in the show notes. But Thank you so much again for making the time. I'm going to jump straight in, Valerie. The first question is anchovies on a pizza. You either love anchovies on a pizza or you strongly
1: dislike. So there's a, what, what's your take there? I am an anchovy lover and thankfully they're good for you. Unlike my other vice, which is potato chips. <laughs> uh, so I'm good with anchovies on a pizza all right well because
0: you answered that way could you share with us a coaching moment that went really really well and what might be some of the lessons because you love anchovies what was it one of your (laughs) success coaching stories
1: my success coaching story oh gosh i coached for 37 years so hopefully there's a lot of them i have to say my most recent most absolutely most brilliant Uh, coaching moment was our 2018 national championship. Our last event, we were going into the last event in fourth place and we were going to balance beam, which can be looked at as the make or break event in gymnastics. And with every one of our student athletes, there are six athletes up and you take the top five scores. And with every one of our student athletes, I have a cue for them that is individual For them which I always would remind them of before right before they go up on beam and I went up to our first student athlete and I was ready to give her her cue and she grabbed me by the hands and she looked at me with this wonderful sparkly eyes majestic smile and she said Miss Val I got this and I was smart enough to shut up and just say I know and walk away and not give her her cue And she PR'd. She got a personal best on beam. And we went down the line. And every single athlete in their own way said to me right before I was going to give them their cue, Miss Val, I'm so excited to compete. I got this. And I just backed away. And we end up winning the national championship. We had to get, we had to average a 9.95 out of 5 out of our five competitors, out of our six competitors, excuse me. And there had not been another 995 on beam from any of the other five teams that night. But we had to average five of them. And we did. And we won the national championship by the smallest of margins. And I absolutely know, it's not that I believe, I know this. Had my ego kicked in and had I felt that they could not perform at their best without me reminding them of their cue. I know they would have played a little tight because they would have been overthinking and we would have not won that championship that year.
0: So many gems already (laughs) park your ego at the door coaches. I love that. I love the importance of cue words, but knowing when and how to use them. Um, awesome story. What about on the flip side, uh, your worst coaching moment and what might be some of the lessons?
1: Oh gosh, there was a lot of those. Um, but you know, we're all human, and as long as we learn from them, I think we should be able to give ourselves grace. Uh, one of the worst coaching moments came uh, early on in my head coaching career. I, as far as the use of profanity or, or vulgarity in coaching, um, I this is my personal opinion. Now it's I'm not professing this to anybody else, but this is you ask my. Personal opinion about that is, I've always felt there is a difference between vulgarity and profanity, and profanity is taking a deity and using that in a profane way. Um, vulgarity are simply words that we've assigned a, a meaning to that, you know, there's from the mundane of "oh crap" to the really bad words. And um, early on in my head coaching career, I have well, I've always had a no gum gum rule. And I was in a team meeting after a meet and we had lost the meet in a horrible way. And I'm talking to the team and I hear a bubble being popped, bubble gum. And I turn to the student athlete and I say to her, spit the gum out of your effing mouth. And it wasn't until years later, when somebody asked me this question about my worst coaching moments that I realized I wasn't upset with myself that I used the F word as much as I put it on the wrong word and it came out with the wrong meaning. I put the F word before her. I made it personal about her. Instead of saying spit the effing gum out of your mouth, I put it spit the gum out of your effing mouth. And it's like, to me, that was inexcusable that was making it personal and that was demeaning and since then i've apologized to her i even put that story in my book because that's how much it affected me it's
0: about you know people and identity isn't it and as a coach being able to walk that that fine line so thank you for sharing that uh the next question is the sliding doors question
1: the biggest sliding door moment without question for me within my career in my life is Um, when I chose to pick up the phone and call UCLA to ask them if I could be their assistant coach and how it happened was for those of you that are listening, that don't know, I've never done gymnastics. I was a ballet dancer and I danced right out of high school. So I had not gone to college and I really missed college. I missed being in a classroom. I missed learning in that academic environment. Um, I was back in the East coast dancing professionally. And I heard that UCLA needed a dance coach for their gymnastics team. Excuse me. And without any hesitation, I found out who the head coach was. I picked up the phone and I gave him my resume and I said, "Um, I would love to be your your choreographer and your dance coach. And he said, we don't have a salary for this position, but if you've not gone to school, we can give you a full scholarship, academic scholarship. And I was like, done and done. And with that, I retired from dancing, moved to Los Angeles and became their assistant coach. And that was in 1982. My entire career, wonderful, amazing, challenging, adventurous career in this world of athletics would have never happened had I been too insecure and too afraid to pick up the phone and make the ask. And when somebody asked me one time, what gave me the courage to do that, I clearly remember thinking, the worst thing he can say is no. And why would I take that personally? He doesn't even know me. So just pick up the phone, make the ask, what's the big deal? And I just think that that's a huge life lesson for all of us. Um, You know, courage is taking a step toward a goal without any guarantee of a result. And to be able to just tap into our courage which means tapping into our vulnerability and our humility that we may not get the answer we want, but that's okay. That just meant that it's not part of your life journey. Go do something else.
0: I think I just found the promo piece for this episode. That was
1: some, about
0: four gems in that one, those couple of sentences there. Uh, Yeah. I, I love that you, you said pick up the phone and make the ask rather than pick up the phone and try and sell yourself it's it's not about that at all and uh i've certainly done i've done that a couple of times in my career and no one's even picked up the phone i've just rocked up on people's doorsteps anyway and just said hi i'm here i'm the girl that was calling you so i i totally love that story and uh live and breathe that one as well all right the next question is our holy grail question of coaching in one to a maximum of three words or three qualities what do you think makes a great coach.
1: Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um uh knowing thyself so that you don't try to be somebody else. <clears throat> Understanding your why. Why do you want to coach? Understanding your how. How you're going to go about coaching. And what those parameters look like, and what it looks like when you step outside of those parameters, and when you do stay in your lane. Okay, I totally went rogue on the no, screen because no, you I didn't did. answer in three questions. <laughs> no, I didn't answer. I didn't answer three words. I went, whoa. Wait no, no. Wait, well, wait, wait, I what? mean, we can summarize
0: each of those. <clears> no one has ever given me th- only three words for each three quality. I mean, that was impressive. That was impressive. Um, so we'll have, uh, yeah, you and I off air, we can narrow that down to three words for my for my global research. But um, that was brilliant. Um, couldn't agree more. And finally, our last question on the coaching podcast is where we ask you to ask us a question.
1: The one thing that sparks my curiosity is what is your why? Why do you love coaching? And I'm actually teaching a course at UCLA on trans- transformative coaching and leadership. And we study different successful coaches of all sports. And it's interesting to see their similarities, but it's also interesting to see their differences. And a lot of the differences often come in their why, why they love it so much. Mm-hmm.
0: Fabulous. Well, that concludes the formal part of the coaching podcast. It's a short and sweet podcast. Do you mind if we do a little extended interview, if I can, and go a little rogue? Abs. I love rogue. Let's do rogue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The formal questions are over. Um, so I'm gonna go with uh, a story about um actually something that really impacted me um when I was when I was young. Uh and that is I'm I'm being vulnerable now. The strength in vulnerability, you said I'm allowed to be. But uh, I used to um, avoid reading um, like the plague and you know, literally I would count how many people were in front of me and I would organize bathroom breaks and I, I slipped under the radar for reading um, because you know, I was always play- out playing sport till late at night so my parents didn't really notice and I used to pay for people to read to me and then I could write the, the essay and so it wasn't until i was 19 and i was doing a class at middle tennessee state university um, playing college tennis air on a division one scholarship and we i did a class called coaching philosophy and i had to read a book like i I couldn't really i didn't really know that many people would have paid to read to me and and i picked up a, a book by this you know Arguably, the legend of coaching, that you know John Wooden, obviously. I I want to go there first, if I may. And I picked it up, and it took me ages to read it, but I loved it. I loved um, every single word of it. So he sort of inspired me to, and now thank goodness is audio books, but <laughs> back in the day th- there wasn't. Um, but he was my first catalyst to actually try and get over that hurdle that I had um, and a real block um, within myself. Uh, so. Could you just t- share some stories about how you met him and what if, you know, maybe if you could take the liberty, what would he answer to, you know, that the, our Holy Grail question of coaching? Um, I know that he has had a huge impact on teaching life, life skills in in your coaching. Could you just share some um, early memories of, of your experience?
1: Oh yeah. I'd love to. Which book was it that you read that first book? Uh, Do you remember?
0: Uh...
1: Was it the little blue book? no was it
0: little no. no it wasn't a little blur. It was, it was like a bigger
1: um yeah he was on the was co- it called coach wooden on leadership yep mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. it yeah mm-hmm. he goes into great detail in that book of his pyramid of success which yes. i find fascinating um yeah yes i met coach wooden when he was 80 uh i want to say he was 87 or so because i always so i always knew him as this elderly, adorable, soft-spoken man. I didn't know him as the fiery coach that he was. And so it's fun. As I I mentioned in your podcast, I'm teaching a course on transformative coaching and leadership. And we use, we study that book, Coach Wooden Book on Leadership. And every year I bring in one of his student athletes that worked for, one of his athletes that worked for, uh, played for him. It's interesting to hear the stories because um, from what they all say, he was rather dogmatic. He was not bending at all. And they didn't really appreciate him nor like him when they played for him. And it wasn't until many, many years later that they matured and understood um, the template of success that he gave them through being so dogmatic with simple things like he would you know, always say, make each day a masterpiece. He would always say, failing to prepare is preparing to fail his little woodenisms constantly that just annoyed the crap out of them. But, um, with me and with anybody that you would ask about coach wooden, one of the interesting things is he never gave advice. And I'm going to share a wonderful little story with you. It was night was the morning of nine 11. I was driving to work and I turned on the news and I heard what horrific things were happening in our country. And that was also the first morning that I was supposed to meet with our team that year. It was our first team meeting of the season. And obviously everything that I had prepared for that meeting was now off the table. And I had nothing because obviously none of us have ever lived through anything like that. So I called coach Wooden and I explained him and I said, coach, I need, I need some, I need some advice here. Coach Wooden never gave advice ever. And he said to me, honey, just follow your heart and you'll be fine. And I said, coach, I need a little bit more than that right now because I got nothing. Uh (laughs) And he said it again. He said, honey, just follow your heart. And I was like, okay, this is not helpful. So have a good morning, coach. I'll talk to you later. Um, So I went to our team meeting and one of my student athletes looked at me, tears streaming down their faces. And she said to me, Miss Val, I don't know how I'm ever going to go in the gym again and do gymnastics because it seems so trivial. Compared to what's happening in our, in our world. And she said, why would we ever do gymnastics again? And I followed my heart and I knew the answer. And the answer was, because we can. Because we live in a country that allows women to play sports. We live in a country that allows women that are scantily clad in leotards to play sports. And so not only are we going to do gymnastics again, but every single time you do gymnastics, we're going to take a pause and honor those who have protected our freedoms as women to be able to play sports. That's why. Had Coach Wooden given me advice, I probably would have said whatever he told me to say instead of following my heart. And following my heart was exactly what that team needed to hear at that moment fantastic.
0: I love that. So beautiful, another beautiful story. Uh, and I think as coaches, when we get back to that, you know, that's, uh, as you said about the why finding your why, why do you coach its It's for me, it lives in the heart. Like it's who I am. Um, and yeah, when it sits at the core of, of, of that, then the answers will come. But sometimes when we overthink things, its it's so difficult, isn't it? Um, but, uh, it's I difficult
1: lost. when you think you're supposed to have the right answer. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's the, what's the eloquent right answer. Mm-hmm. And what I have found, once I think, you know, we get to an age where we find it's not about the right answer. It's about the answer in the moment. that's going to be the most impactful. Mm-hmm. And often that time at those times, it's very, it's a very simple answer that cuts straight to your heart instead of your mind. Mm hmm.
0: And I think that's one of the biggest differences as a beginning coach. I think when you're starting out as a coach, you feel like you need to have all the answers, you know, when the, Hey coach, you know, what, what do I do here? or What do I do there? And, and I certainly remember, I know in chapter one, I call it of my career. You know, I try and give all the answers at all at once, which it has, I had a good intention, but of course, um, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned in chapter two of my own coaching is the power of the pause, Uh, And you already have shared that beautiful story in, in one of your earlier um, stories. I
1: I love that. And you know what, Emma, I tell what you're saying is exactly what I tell young leaders that I think the biggest mistake young leaders make is and even parents probably is they feel that they have to have all the answers and they feel they're not being a strong leader unless they have all the answers. I, that's how I felt when I was leading. I was like, and I knew nothing about gymnastics. I knew nothing about what a healthy culture should look like, so I couldn't show my ignorance. So I just had to fake it, which was ridiculous. And thankfully, I was horrible. Um, but what I share with young coaches now is, and with parents, a leader of anyone, not just young or, or old, I think the best way to lead is to model the behavior for those whom you are leading, and that. Includes includes being able to say, I don't know the answer to that, but good question. And I'm going to go figure it out and I'll get back to you. That's a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. And to be able to show our humility and our vulnerability and our, our inadequacies in some of the areas that we're supposed to be leading, but have the enthusiasm to go figure it out is exactly what we would want those whom we're leading to, to act like and to embody. So it's our job to model that behavior, give them a safe space to say, I don't know, but I'll go figure it out.
0: Mm. And therefore, you keep on encouraging them to ask questions, continue to ask questions rather than feeling like they're getting shut down as well. Uh, Beautiful. And so what about when you first took on that that role as the head coach of of the gymnastics team? Um, Did you ever get a lot of backlash about, well, you're not you know, how can you lead this, lead this team when, you know, you come from a ballet background and you don't know gymnastics, like how did you overcome that? And what did you come up against a lot of confrontation and how did you deal with it?
1: Yeah, there was confrontation every turn at every turn. I, I didn't really pay much attention to the people that were saying, you know, why do you think you can lead this team? Because I was saying the same to myself. I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, and you know, they're going to, you're going to have haters your whole life. So at some point you just got to silence the noise. You can't move forward unless you silence that noise. But the thing that I feel badly about for those early athletes in the 1990, 91, 92 era, um, before like probably the first two or three years of my coaching career was all I knew, all I knew about coaching was what I saw with our national team and how successful our national team had been. And our U.S. national team had adopted a coaching philosophy philosophy of very authoritative and dictatorship and very, quote-unquote, stereotypical Eastern European style of coaching. And especially because gymnastics... Um, is a very very tough sport and you can get seriously injured if you do not learn how to focus very well for for that reason a lot of times when young athletes are growing up in this in this culture of gymnastics there isn't a lot of joy and fun and and laughter and all that because if you know if you're seven years old you don't know how to have fun and then shift immediately back to focus when you're on the beam you got to stay focused and so I just mimicked other head coaches, particularly our our u s national team gymnastics coaches, the the Carole's. Um And I was bullish, I was sarcastic, I was I put on this affect and this front of being very authoritative, and I remember just thinking and telling myself, I had to act like this. So people knew I took my job seriously because if I had fun, they would think that I wasn't taking my job seriously. And then that would substantiate everything that all the naysayers were saying, right? So, I mean, it was this convoluted mess in my head of, of my ego and trying to convince myself and other people that I could do this job. And it honestly wasn't until I picked up Coach Wooden's book on leadership that opened up magically to his definition of success. And it basically says success is peace of mind in knowing you have done your best. And I realized in that moment I had been trying to be somebody else. Mm. And then I, when I realized that, I had a real freeing release moment that, you know what, I'm going to go and figure out who I am and what I bring to the table not just my, through my 17 years of classical ballet training, but also me as a human, the humanity of who I am and bring that to the table. And if I don't succeed, that'll be okay. I'll go find another career, another job that I will be successful at. And so if I'm not going to be successful being myself and coaching, that's okay. I don't want to, I don't want to keep faking it and trying to be somebody else. And then it wasn't until I just started being me. And like I said, modeling the behavior that I want our student athletes to have. So think about it. I knew nothing about what I was doing. So I asked a million questions. I mean, I asked the student athletes when they would say, why am I falling off beam? I'd say, I don't know. What are you feeling? What are you telling yourself before you go up? Let's look at the film. Let's look. And we learned together. And shortly after that, one of my seniors came up to me and said, you're, you have finally become a leader worth following because you're being authentic to who you are. And we can see that you're not trying to be somebody else
0: Know thyself,
1: know thyself, And it was cool because she also said, "You know, Miss Val, so when you do make mistakes, we realize it's coming from the proper intention
0: mm-hmm.
1: versus your intention previously was simply to mimic Marta Caroli. Mhm Mhm. <clears throat>
0: Thank you for sharing that uh, yeah the history of gymnastics coaching I think it's I think it's evolving um, in in a good direction which is uh, which is awesome you talk you spoke a little bit about that imposter syndrome um in that last story what do you see is the biggest challenge that student athletes face today
1: social media <laughs> without question mm. is social media mm. uh, constant comparison isn't it constant comparison and you know the studies have shown that our youth today are they're actually drinking less they're doing less drugs they're doing their home more they're partying less they are home more but they're home isolated and they're isolated on their phones and they're isolated obviously on social media on their phones Mm. and so they are not engaging in social interaction and they're in constant comparison and that we have because of this We have more reports of stress, anxiety, depression, and suicide Mm -hmm. than ever before in our youth. Mm -hmm. And, um, I feel like, you know, with, with the smartphone, we gave, we, we put the, took the genie out of the bottle, but we didn't give ourselves, um, we didn't give our, our youth instruction of how to manage that phone instead of letting it control you, how for you to control it. And I feel it's really, we can't put the genie back in the bottle. So when I tell my student athletes, you know, turn your phone off at 10 o'clock. There's nothing that you need to respond to until the morning. There's no way they do that. They, I'm trying to get them not to sleep with their phone on their chest because it's horrible for you physiologically. Right. I mean, it's, it's social media. Mm. Mm.
0: It's almost like, I think one of the biggest challenges for coaches is, you know, as you said, it's not going anywhere. So we have to deal with it, but how do we deal with it? It's a bit, I come back to the chewing the gum story. Um, You know, it, it was one of your prerequisites that that's not tolerated. And I think, you know, I see it, you know, tennis is, is, is my sport and, even pro players, like when they're having a water break, they'll just pick up the phone and just, you know, oh, I needed to check it because I wasn't sure if mum was coming to pick me up. Well, I mean, that's it, as a professional no, athlete, right. it's not good enough. Um, and I think there's well, a lesson in that. And I think you hit the nail on the head with how to manage it. Because if we could treat it more even like a hobby, like this is social media time or something along that, where that way you're managing your time, because I mean, and again, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's not what, what I'm saying maybe isn't realistic. I mean, based on the, the research that we unlock at 13
1: times an hour or something.
0: Some, right.
1: I think that even, we need to keep hmm. being educated. Mm-hmm. We need to keep having, we need to have those stats out there. Um, the only time people change is through education and people don't change because we should change. Mm-hmm. We change because we are educated to see how we're damaging ourselves or other people. Um, and our youth needs to be educated a lot um, on, on what the effects of social media are, what the effects of, of reading every single thing that's written about you. Um, and sadly, once again, parents, coaches, we need to model that behavior. Mm. You know, I, I read in the book, someone was saying that, you know, this, this young boy was saying, I'd love... I love talking to my mom, but when I talk to her while she's making dinner, she's on Facetime with her. You know, we're not modeling what really active listening is with our children, with our youth, if we are checking our phones as well. And I'm, I'm just as bad. I've been out to dinner with some of my student athletes, and my phone's on the table, and they'll say, "Miss Val, can you put that away?" I love it. I'm like, "Yes, and thank you." Mm.
0: So Miss Val, I know you did a TED Talk that I highly recommend everyone um, checks it out. And so I'd like to flip one of your concepts back on you and ask you, what's your definition of success?
1: Well, in coaching, my definition of success is developing champions in life through sport. Because if we don't adhere to that philosophy, then it's all about winning. And there's no way that... Everything that the athletes and the coaches go through to become great and achieve achieve greatness in sport is all about winning. It can't be all about winning because that's so silly. And that's just about bragging rights. So I absolutely believe that sport is the greatest master class to learn really, really tough lessons that you don't learn in the classroom. Um, so as a coach, my definition, as I said, is developing champions in life through sport. Success for me as a human in my life is being able to continually humble myself, to continue, be on this continuous journey of self examination of, am I the best version of myself today? And understanding that there's always room for growth to maintain a curious mind and to be able. Success, as I'm thinking about this, is to be able to not just forgive others and give others grace as we go through this wonderful adventure called life, but to be able to give yourself grace as well. Um, And as long as I am able to admit where I've gone off my path, understand how I'm going to get back on my path, and how I'm not going to continue to make those same choices, um, then I'm leading a pretty good life
0: yeah i either win or i learn i should say and and learn right (laughs) Um, fantastic fantastic uh biggest myth in coaching
1: the biggest myth in coaching is that winning is the end-all be-all it is not the end-all be-all because winning lasts about twenty four hours. Um you
0: you can't exactly you can't exactly take the Wimbledon trophy out to dinner the night you wouldn't mm
1: -hmm. even win the championship, can you? No. And um you know if I had won we I led our team to seven national championships. And I had if I had won seven national championships but I did not have good relationships with the student athletes whom I coached, I think it would be very empty. Mm. And, um, you know, this is why I look at someone like Simone Biles, who is using her platform to discuss societal things. And um, and her, you know, her thing is bringing forth the what's happening in our foster care system, because she and her sister were in the foster care system. And I just look at her. I look at someone like Michael Phelps. It doesn't matter how many medals you win if you're not using that platform to help society and humanity, then nobody really cares. Mm -hmm. When it's not about like winning is, does not solve all of your problems and the world's problems. Mm -hmm. Winning is fun. That's it. Period. Yeah.
0: And uh, they don't exactly put it on your, on your tombstone, do they?
1: (laughs) Oh, exactly. I, I said that the other day about, somebody when i was somebody who had passed and they had won all these championships and i said you know you know you look at that little dash on the tombstone between the date of birth and date of death that little dash is your legacy mm-hmm. and in that little dash they're not going to say coach Wooden won 10 at 10 national championships mm-hmm. they say coach Wooden led his men to become men through the way he coached them
0: yeah what would you say is the biggest difference between um, coaching uh, females and males? <laughs> I had to throw that
1: one in. Sorry. Oh gosh. That. I've never coached men, but I have talked with coaches at UCLA who coached both men and women's teams. <laughs> and they, they all say the same thing and they will give stories. Like I tell my, like I was talking to the track coach and he says, I told my male student athlete, that he needed to get in the weight room and build more muscle on his legs so he could be faster. He said, "Okay, coach," and he did it. I told a female the exact same thing, and she left crying and told her team that I called her fat. And it's—I just think—I think women, I don't know why this is. I think that women um, take take to heart uh, much more personally what coaches say or don't say or do or don't do more so than men. And part of it is a negative. I feel that I feel that um the soft skills like emotion and and empathy and vulnerability and humility, I feel like we coach those out of our boys, which is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. But because but I guess the good part about that is they don't really internalize um, a lot of the things that coaches say to them and they don't take it personally. Where with girls, it's the opposite. You know, girls are brought up to to be caring and nurturing. And so hopefully, you know, we're in this era now where we're all just human beings. And hopefully, I do feel that there is a transition amongst the coaching world I, of, of all sports. And I do feel that there is this wave now to understand that you can achieve greatness, you can win, you can win medals, national championships, mm-hmm. by at the same time fortifying the whole human being who is the athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, while I said that, over my years at UCLA, I had quite a few male student athletes that came by my office and just wanted some time to talk and. The tears would be flowing because they were going through something hard at home or they were having relationship problems and they didn't feel they had a coach on their staff that they could talk to. So um, mm-hmm. I do feel that there is a difference. I feel the girls, quote unquote, girls, <laughs> girls, we need to get a little bit tougher. And I'm not saying I'm going to take that back. I'm not going to use the word tough. I had it described to me beautifully by a coach by a yeah, coach who was coached by um, uh, Bobby Knight, the men's basketball coach at Indiana, who was known for horrible language, throwing chairs, grabbing his athletes by the throat, whatever. And this this student athlete, who's now a coach, said that he learned to take what Coach Knight said to him in like a colander or a sieve. And to let, when you take in life and what people say to you like a sieve, you let all the junk drain out and the the meat of it, the stuff is going to help you is what you keep. And I think too often we take in life or what people say to us like a sponge and we just absorb everything. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have to. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was brilliant because this, is, uh, this was coach Steve Alford who, who played for Bobby Knight four years at Indiana and two years uh, leading up to the Olympic Games. And he said, "No." He said he really, yeah, he got all the verbal attacks and all that, but he just let it run through him, And he kept the nuggets, the important stuff of how to become a better basketball player. Mm. And he didn't let the rest of it affect him. And if imagine if we could go through life like that, granted there are times where it is serious abuse, and when you do need to report, um I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm just saying that." In a lot of circumstances in life, if we can just give the other person the benefit of the doubt that they're really not trying to hurt us or belittle us or make our lives miserable, we actually would live a better life ourselves.
0: Mm. Yep. The, uh, the sieve technique, the other one I use a lot with my players is uh, I call it the Russian spy called Justin Ipov, as in J-U-S-T hyphen A-N, just an, and Ipov stands for interesting point of view. And then you can decide whether you take on whether you you know I have I have teenage kids draw their Russians by to help them you know be able to cope with all the negativity and all the comparison and all the things that don't serve them in there. Oh, that's wonderful!
1: I'm writing that down. I love that. Russian
0: spy Justin ipov Yeah, Um, and another great quote that came to mind when you were talking a minute ago, um, just in the subtle subtle gender differences is a. quote by um an australian football afl football coach he always says um the boys have to play well to feel like they belong whereas girls have to feel like they belong before they can play well and i that
1: is great that is brilliant i absolutely believe that Yeah. yeah me too so um i actually had an athlete um at ucla in the 80s who she was she was outscoring all of her teammates and she started playing down, mm-hmm. so that she would be accepted and liked. Yep. Yep. Another
0: subtle difference, and one for coaches to be aware of and pick up, and and be able to get on top of that early, so that yeah. everyone can step into their greatness. All right, I've got about it. I prepared another five questions, but I'm I'm going to just pick one, uh, okay. to finish on. Um, let's go with um, what's what are the one or two things that have you've been really thinking deeply about that perhaps other people might think that's a little crazy?
1: Oh God, a lot. <laughs> I think that most people think I'm nuts. Um, the one thing that I've been thinking a lot about is the importance of coaches building relationships with their athletes, obviously healthy relationships. Um, and I look back on my career and the student athletes that i've had that have had really great careers are the and the ones that i still have a great relationship with are the ones that i built a relationship with then and the the few student athletes that to this day i don't have a good relationship with that internalized the things that i did negatively i didn't have a relationship with them. And even though those same athletes went through the exact same years with me and the same exact experiences with me, some of them internalized it one way, the others internalized it in another. And when I look back at the commonality of all that, it's the ones I didn't take the time to foster a relationship with. Because when you foster a relationship with someone, you end up being able to give them grace and the benefit of the doubt. and I just had a conversation with someone the other day, Jamie Dancher, who's an Olympian and whatever, and she was not easy to coach. And she said to me, Miss Val, I know I was a pain in the ass. And she said, but I got to tell you, Miss Val, there were times that you were really harsh. She said, but I knew your intention was not to make me feel bad. Your intention was to get me on board to be a part of this team. And I said the same to her. I said, "Jamie, I knew your intention was not to question everything I did. Your intention was to figure out my why, so that you could then, uh, um, not take my coaching negatively, but take it positively." And the only reason we were able to have that conversation and that she ended up having a wonderful career at UCLA was because she and I had a relationship. And I think that a lot of Coaches feel that when they hear this, they say, I don't have that kind of time. I don't have time to build relationships. I'm like, yeah, you do. All it takes is going up to a player, every like, and this is what I did my last years of coaching. I made a point of every single day I was gonna have some small connection with every single student athlete in the gym. And just to be able to go up and say, Hey Sarah, how's your day going? And then give her 30 seconds to a minute, whatever, to respond. And actually actively listen to her response. That's building a relationship. That's all it takes. You don't have to go to lunch with everybody. It's just those little teeny, tiny moments that build that relationship. Um, and I think that I think that is imperative in every single sport, at every single level to bring out the best in your athletes that they, they have to know that you care about them as humans not just as a commodity that's going to help them win.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's that small connection, isn't it, over time that can create champions both on and off the court.
1: Right. And mm-hmm. it's that small connection that builds trust mm-hmm. so that when you need that person, you know, that connection is there. Mm-hmm.
0: It's when they say, Hey, Miss Val, I've got this.
1: <laughs> right. Sorry
0: on that note uh we will finish where we started uh and I, I love that um one of the athletes saying you know i love or i'm ready to compete or i forget the exact quote you use right. but i've got this i'm i'm ready um the preparation's right. been done so you just when you can let go of the outcome and just you know i think that's that's the ultimate uh, as coaches and uh Anyway, you exude everything about um, knowing thyself, understanding your why and understanding your how. Miss Val, it's been an absolute honor and pleasure spending this time with you on the coaching podcast. Every time I hear you speak, I've I've got two pages of notes always with you. Uh, So I appreciate you and thank you so much for being on the coaching podcast.
1: Thank you, Emma. Thank you for everything you're doing to make our world a better place. Appreciate it. Right back at you.
0: Bye, everybody. The coaching podcast was brought to you by Emma Doyle and Simon Blair. Emma Doyle is a global speaker and performance coach helping unleash human potential. Her website is emmadoyle.com.au. And I'm Simon Blair, trainer, assessor, and coach of sales and customer service skills with my own company Five Degrees. Connect with me on LinkedIn or email me at Simon.blair at five degrees. That's dot a u. And if you enjoyed this episode,
1: please remember to give it a rating and a review on your podcast listening device.